This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody. Mike Francesa a Podcast. And uh, every once in a while, we decide to go to the emails to do a program and get you up to date on some stuff. So let's see what we have right now. And remember to send your emails to Mike Francis, the podcast at gmail.com. And remember football's right around the corner before you know it, August will be over. Uh, we will be ready. Training camps will be open. Uh, and some may be open already when you're hearing this. The bottom line is that football is right around the corner, and we will have some special shows, including a Football Friday program for you originating on Friday every week during this coming football season. So more on that as we uh, get a little later into August. Brian in from Costa Mesta starts us off. I'm sure you've gotten to play some incredible golf courses. What are your favorites? I mean – they're nationally, they're not going to be any of the ones that you haven't heard about. I've never played Augusta. I was never good enough. I'm still not good enough, but now I think I'd take a swing at it. My game's improved enough. I think I would take a shot at it. Before that, I wouldn't even have gone out and played it because I, I, I didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, right here in our neighborhood, Bethpage Black is a very, very hard course if you want to take that on. If you go out... To the east end of Long Island, some wonderful courses. Uh, and Sabonic is an incredible, incredible layout and an incredible course. Really just a wonderful course to play uh, and a beautiful course. Pascucci did a brilliant job in building that place. It's, it's a wonderful course and a, and a, a beautiful one. Um, there's a lot of other wonderful courses on Long Island. Uh, and there's many in the metropolitan area. I mean, Pebble Beach, it's funny. You want to play it to say you played it. It's, it's historic, but it's not the greatest course in the world. It really not. There's some beautiful holes, and you know you've seen pictures of them, and you know which ones are the iconic holes. But overall, playing the 18, it's not as overwhelming as you think. It really isn't. There are, there are better-looking courses and courses that I think have a little more character to them. But obviously, there's just so many great courses in the country. You could line them up, and I'm sure there's one – wherever you live, and obviously there's plenty of them in California. Frank emails, as a big Yankee and baseball fan, I wanted to ask you to compare Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio. In terms of greatest Yankees, it's safe to say that Ruth and Gehrig are one and two, respectively. I want to know who you would put three. I'm partial, I know you're partial to Mantle. I'm curious to know your thoughts. Listen. Those four Yankees stand alone. You want to put it Ruth Gehrig, DiMaggio Mantle, I have no problem. Mickey Mantle was not as good a complete player as Joe DiMaggio. He did not field as well as DiMaggio. DiMaggio was considered the perfect player. 
Williams was the better hitter. DiMaggio was the better player. Mickey actually had a higher OPS lifetime than Joe because of the homers and the walks. He had a 9973. Joe had a 997. Mickey had a 9773. And Joe had a 9771. Imagine that. That one replaces the other and their OPS's lifetime are that close. And they're both wonderful. They're just under 1,000. And if you go where Mickey, before Mickey fell apart, for his career, his OPS was 1,000. In the years that you really hailed that he was healthy or healthy enough to play before he just dissipated, which he did in 65, 66, 67, 68, took him under 300 and took him down enough to where his OPS was under 1,000. It would have been 1,000, which is special. Um, Mickey was as good in his prime an offensive player as anyone. He was as good as any of them because he was everything. He walked a lot. He had a lot of home runs. He had speed. He was a guy who hit from both sides of the plate, and he hit high for average. So he had everything. But I would still rank it. Ruth, Gehrig, DiMaggio, Mantle, and then a big gap to the next guy because those four are four of the 25 greatest players of all time. Mickey is without question. He might not be the defensive player of DiMaggio or Mays, but he was one of the greatest offensive players of all time. From 51 to 62, Mantle was as good an offensive player as ever lived. Mike emails, I think everyone would like to know if you are writing a book about your life and career. Uh, You have interactions with athletes, media people, celebrities. Is there a books in the work? If not, will there be? I have no plans. Um, A lot of times people write the books because they're bored or they need the money. Thankfully, I, I don't, I'm not bored and I don't need the money right now. Hopefully, I never do. Um, knock on wood. I, I wouldn't do a tell-all. I wouldn't, I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't like the feel of that. I'm not going to go back and tell. Do I know a lot of stories? Yes. Have I seen a lot of things? Yes. But you know what? I'm not going to turn around and tell those stories. I'm not going to turn around and, because they want you to do something when you, when someone edits the book for you or the book company, they want you to tell juicy stories or tell stories that make people look bad or controversial or has some sizzle. And I'm not into doing that. Uh, I've had a wonderful career. I've been able to do so much and been so fortunate. I'm not going to do that. So I don't know if I ever write a book. I don't know. I came close a couple of years ago. I met with the book companies. I sent them a treatment. They loved it. They really wanted to do it. They liked the stories I told. And these are stories I could tell. And then I stopped doing it because of the pandemic and I never got back to it. So I don't know if I ever will, but I would say it's unlikely. Gary and Mamaronek, why is Richie Allen not in the Hall of Fame? You know, it's funny. The other day when Keith Hernandez had his great day and it really was well done and deserving, a lot of people sentimentally are saying Keats belongs in the Hall of Fame. I'm a real hard grader. If you're putting Keith in the Hall of Fame, you're putting him in because of his glove. 
And are you going to put a guy in at first base because of his glove? If you're willing to do that, then you can put Keith in. But you're putting him in because of his glove. Keith Hernandez offensively is not a Hall of Famer. His numbers aren't as good as Don Mattingly's, and Don's not a Hall of Famer. And I love Don. I love Keith. But you know what? They're not Hall of Famers. Hall of Famers for the best of the best. And you're not knocking anybody by saying they're not a Hall of Famer. Keith Hernandez had one 100 RBI season. One. I'm not knocking him, but he didn't hit home runs. He didn't hit 300. And there are guys who have won multiple batting crowns who aren't in the Hall of Fame. Richie Allen's not getting in the Hall of Fame. Richie Allen's numbers are unbelievable compared to Mattingly and and, uh, Hernandez. And he's not getting in either. Bell's numbers are unbelievable, and he's not getting in the Hall of Fame. So it's not a knock for those guys not to get in. Now, if you want to make the point that Keith revolutionized the position defensively and you want to put him in for his defense and you want to make the point that everyone who has the most gold gloves at any position is in defensively, that's not how first base has been judged. But if you want to change it, go ahead. I'm not going to be upset if he gets in. But would I vote him in? I wouldn't. I admit I'm very hard on mocking people. There are guys in there I would never have voted for. There are people they put in that don't deserve to be in there in my mind. But that's the way it is. It's not a knock. I don't consider it a knock if you're not in the Hall of Fame. Do I think Hernandez was a top player? Top player. Do I think Mattingly was a top player? Mattingly was a great player. Mattingly was the best player in the league. I don't think Keith Everett was the best player in the league. Mattingly was the best player in the league until his back went out. He was one of the best players in baseball. He had power, batting average, RBIs, the whole defense, the whole thing. He just didn't do it long enough. So I'm telling you, I wouldn't vote for either one of them. But that doesn't mean I don't appreciate their careers. Would I vote for Allen? He's an interesting case because his numbers are really good. He had some dynamic seasons. He was a screw-up at times, but he was at times the most feared hitter in the league. Those are the kind of guys you think of as Hall of Famers. Richie Allen was a pure slugger. He had 40 homers in 110 games for the Phillies one year. David, who is your favorite among the NFL broadcast teams now and who is your favorite of all time? Um... I thought Summerall and Madden were, like everyone else, a wonderful team. I liked Kurt Gowdy and Al DeRogatis. I thought they were a terrific team that's going back a ways. There are some very good broadcasters now. Some of them are my closest friends, so that's why I'm not going to pick one. But, you know, uh, if I said Jim Nance, everyone would say I'm partial. I am partial. I admit that. So I'm not going to say that. Um, but... Of all time in football, I think I would take Kurt Gowdy at his top and Al DeRogatis. Summerall and Madden to be close.
Do you think Phil Simms has been unfairly snubbed by the Hall of Fame, given he played on the teams that stressed the run and lacked the high-quality receivers? Did he ever really have the opportunity to put up the big-time numbers? No. Played in the Northeast. Didn't play in an offense that featured the kind of passing that gave him the easy throws and the cheap touchdowns. He didn't get those. Um, Phil, I believe if Phil had been healthy and not gotten hurt in the Buffalo game and had led the Giants to that Super Bowl, and Hostetler did a great job, but if he had led the Giants to that Super Bowl and that team was very capable of winning that Super Bowl with Phil, clearly they were playing great when he got hurt, um, I think Phil would have been in with two. I think it's the only thing that kept him out. He's that close to being a Hall of Famer. I would have no objections to Phil Simms being in the Hall of Fame. None. John in Kings Park, with the passage of time, has Don Manning and Keith and his value as players increased enough to get them into the Hall, in your opinion? Well, I just answered that. I say no, but like I said, if you're putting Keith in based on he changed the game defensively, he's got the most goal gloves at first base, that's why he gets in, more power to him, put him in. I don't see how you're making an argument to put him in at first base considering his offensive career. He didn't bat 330. He had 100 RBI season. He did not hit home runs. I don't think that gets you in a Hall of Fame offensively, especially as a first baseman. Now, if you want to put him in because he changed the game defensively, go ahead. With gambling becoming so mainstream nowadays, and this is from James, with gambling becoming so mainstream nowadays, do you think there will be more incidents such as Calvin Ridley, athletes getting in trouble with sports gambling? Without any question. Let's be honest. I am doing a podcast for a company that now handles gambling, Bet Rivers, in New York, Sugar House in New Jersey and Connecticut. The company is Rush Interactive. That's the parent name of the company out of Chicago, which is a you know publicly owned company. They are doing what FanDuel and DraftKings and all the other ones do. They are licensed in New York. This has become a very big business. The NFL... Major League Baseball, they have, and the professional leagues have all sold their soul. They were so anti-gambling. Let me tell you how anti-gambling the NFL was. My Sunday morning show, for all but the last two years of it, had NFL in its name. There were only a handful of shows that were granted. That had to be given to you by the NFL. That was given to me by the NFL. They allowed me to use NFL in the name. There were only, I think, five shows that had it. With that, though, came the proviso that I would not do gambling on that show. I never, ever made a pick on that show. I heard someone say the other day, oh, Mike, I used to make picks on Sunday morning, and, you know, they were, you know, in some years they were bad. Hey, I never made a pick on Sunday in my life, not once. The only time I ever made picks was when Dog picked three and I picked three on Fridays. I wasn't allowed to make picks on Sunday. I had NFL in my name. My show was the NFL Now. I never discussed picks or gambling on the show, ever, ever. In all the years I did the show, and I did the show for 35 years. I never made a pick on that show. 
because the NFL frowned on it. They were dead set against it. And that was the agreement we had. Now, the last two years, they took it away because they needed the NFL now to turn it into some social media thing, which they never really used. To turn it. They needed it badly, desperately, and then they never really used it right anyway. But they took NFL now, bound, now back after 33 years of me doing the show. Um, I did Francesa football Sunday the last two years that I did it. The bottom line is the NFL was adamant against gambling, ferociously adamant against gambling. Now they're in business up to their eyeballs with gambling. They even have ownership in these companies. Some owners do, the league does, and has relationships. So this is just the beginning. And they are going to ask the players to walk a very fine line. They're going to say, you're not allowed to gamble. Even though we are promoting gambling to the hilt, you're not allowed to gamble as a performer. Our officials and our players are not allowed to gamble. So will you see more of this? I think without any question. It's impossible for it not to be, and it is without question a joke to try to implement that and then promote it in your own broadcasts the way you are. You're promoting gambling in every telecast you see now. There is gambling promoted inside the pregame and inside the game itself by the announcers, by everybody. It has become part and parcel of the delivery of the game to the public. They want you to be actively wagering during the game. They want to create an entire legion of gamblers because they make more money that way. And to say anything less than that is completely a lie. That is complete truth. And any league that won't admit to that is just telling you nonsense. I see my son finally showing interest in watching baseball. Not sure how long this will last. What does baseball need to do to pull in the younger generation? You know, I go to a game and I see a lot of kids there. I don't go to a game and see a lot of teenagers there. So I think the dads, the families take their kids when they're small to the baseball games. But then I think the kid gets into the other sports. I'd say my two sons, Jack loves going to baseball games. Jack and Harrison both played baseball. They both played it well. Harrison doesn't like to watch baseball. Jack likes to watch baseball. But I think the other sports they're more in tune with, the NBA, the NFL. And I think those sports have done a better job of connecting with the younger person. And I think it really what has to happen is, let's be honest, anybody who has teenagers, and I have two, I have three if you count my daughter, but two boys is what I'm talking about right the second, from a sports standpoint, you have to market 
on social media and you have to connect to the phone because you know that these kids are never without their phones. They're never not looking at video. So if you are not connecting as a sport from a video standpoint with these kids, then you're missing that entire market because that's how these kids live. They come in the car, they have their phone. They walk anywhere, they have their phone. They get up in the morning, boom, 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 they're looking at their That's the way they live. Is it right or wrong? It's not right. I understand that. It's too much. But the bottom line is we all know it's true. We all know it's what's going on. And if you are going to reach them, you have to reach them. And I think the NBA does a very good job of reaching the kids even better than the NFL where the players still are harder to know because of the helmets and better than baseball. So that's one thing I would give the NBA credit for. I think they connect very well. And I can tell by my kids will talk about dad. You see this guy did this, this guy did this, this guy turned down this, this guy is going to get traded. This guy's going to do that. I just hear them talking NBA a lot even in the off season. And that's very positive for the NBA. So I think the NBA is doing a very good job of, 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 of sending that message and connecting. Eileen and Queens, can you rank these great New York sports moments in order of how they impacted the radio at the time they happened? I would love to hear your take on what these moments meant to the show. Super Bowl 25, the Rangers winning the Cup, the 96 Yankees winning the World Series, the 2000 World Series, and the Giants upsetting the Pats. Great question. Number one by far on the radio was the Yankees' 96 run leading up to them winning their first World Series in a long time. If you remember, the Yankees hit the skids in September, but they never fell out of first. They never fell out of the playoffs is what I mean. They never fell out of being in the playoffs. They came within a game and a half. I always told Doug, it's a game and a half from being worried. And... They kept their margin, but we started with the pink Cadillac, which really caught on with the fans, with the montage that we played, a compilation of all the big rallies and highlights and everything else. That montage grew to be like 40 minutes long. That run through the end of September, into October, to the World Series, to Torrey and his brother, to losing the first two games to the Braves, and then making the comeback. The impact of that on the radio was enormous. The 94 Super Bowl, I mean, 94 Rangers, and that run, Nixon Rangers, 49 playoff games, that whole spring, was another one that impacted the radio enormously, day in, day out, April, May, June. Dog and I never took a day off that entire spring. 
And we once added up what Dog did, how many of those games we saw live, and it was something like 37. Because we went to a lot of away games, too. Dog even went to Vancouver three times in that series. That run was enormous. So I would put the 96 Yankees one, the Rangers two, Super Bowl 25-3, the Super Bowl for the Pats upsetting the, uh, being upset by the Giants four, and then the disappointment and last was the Subway Series. That laid an egg. It never had the impact in this town, in the town of New York, in, on the radio, influence in the media, everything. It was a dud. It was severely disappointing. Waited for Subway Series forever, and when it happened, it did not fulfill its promises. Joe emails, now that the Yankee New Stadium has been around for a decade, I want to hear your opinion of the memorable Mike and the Mad Dog episode, the debate about the new stadium. Dog was adamant in keeping the old stadium. You wanted the new stadium. Dog was right and I was wrong. I wasn't totally wrong for this reason. Economically, to build the Yes Network, to sell the baseball rights the way they want to sell and market their games. The Yankees needed a new infrastructure inside their ballpark. It had to be wired a certain way. It had to have certain upgrades that the old stadium couldn't provide. That's why they needed a new stadium. That and they wanted luxury boxes. If they could have done those two things and kept the stadium, it would have been the best of both worlds. If you're asking me, could they have built the Yankee brand the way they built it without a new stadium? They couldn't. But I think the new stadium lacks charm and the old stadium is missed desperately. So I think they paid a very heavy price. So I would go back and say there was no way the stadium couldn't be built. It was a necessary evil. But Dog was right and I was wrong. Matt in Virginia Beach, your old partner was asked about the Mount Rushmore of TV shows of all time. Said that I Love Lucy and All in the Family are definite picks. From there, he mentioned Seinfeld, MASH, and The Sopranos for consideration. Curious as to what your Mount Rushmore of TV shows would be. Well, you didn't ask comedies, you asked TV shows. So I would say that I Love Lucy has to be there at Change Television. I think a show like The Ed Sullivan Show has to be there because it provided so much television. As far as dramas... I think All in the Family was groundbreaking. And I would say, as far as dramas, 
See, The Sopranos is on different kind of TV. It's cable television. It's HBO. It's not broadcast television. It's a whole different world. They don't have any restrictions. They don't have, so that's a whole different level of TV show. I don't even think it can be included for that reason. That's like doing a movie. I would say the old Dick Van Dyke show because it had so much individual talent, maybe as much individual talent as any show ever had. It had Dick Van Dyke and, of course, the legendary Mary Tyler Moore. And the Mary Tyler Moore show was equally important. The one she did for a lot of groundbreaking reasons. So, but I wouldn't include The Sopranos only because it was HBO, and that changes everything. Dave emails, Mike, You've always said that Kovacs was the most dominant pitcher you've ever seen. Who's your number two? In his prime, Pedro Martinez. He was that good. And if you look in the air he pitched, he was remarkable. But nobody, nobody, nobody reached Kovacs. He was by himself. By himself to this day. I've never seen anybody dominate nor come close to dominate the way he dominated on the mound. Keep sending emails. Appreciate it. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today wherever you get your podcasts.